Hello and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. The political world will be brighter when Sage Showers returns to Washington, D.C. Sage recently served as an intern for an Oklahoma senator, and the experience was inspiring. Now, Sage hopes to return to the nation's capital after graduation and bring salt and light. Listen as Sage relives some great memories from her D.C. semester experience with your host, Mark Weinstein. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am so thankful that you have chosen to listen to another podcast. It's very encouraging to me when I hear comments about a particular program or when you suggest a future guest. Feel free to email me at mweinstein at cedarville.edu and let me know your thoughts about a recent program or to recommend a future guest. I'd love to hear from you. Today on the program, I'm talking with Sage Showers, a junior from Hammond, Oklahoma, who is majoring in political science at Cedarville University. Sage's decision to enroll at Cedarville is tied directly to an experience she had last semester in Washington, D.C., and we'll get to that in a moment. But for now, let me welcome Sage to the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you in studio and talking about your interest in politics and what you're doing at Cedarville University. Welcome, Sage. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. It's good to have you in studio, as I said. And uh, let's begin the program with a little geography lesson. I think that's always important uh, to start. Uh, where is Hammond, Oklahoma? I would describe it as about 45 minutes east of the border of the panhandle of Texas, two hours okay. west of Oklahoma City, and about 20 miles north of a little town called Elk City of about 15,000. Hammond is about 574 people. Really? Yes. How many of them are family members? I have a large family. Seven of those are family members. Okay. Okay. So you're you're pretty uh, Southern then, uh, if you're close to the panhandle of Texas. That's true. Yeah. So it's about the Southwest corner of Oklahoma, I'd okay. say. So if you're familiar with Oklahoma, it looks a little bit like, um, like a pan- sitting on top of Texas. So yeah, the Southwest corner of that. (laughs) Okay. So how does someone from that part of the country in Hammond, Oklahoma, find her way to Cedarville, Ohio and study at Cedarville University? What was your story? That's a great question. Um, I started out, so I was homeschooled my whole life. I started out looking for schools outside of Oklahoma because I wanted to spread my wings and get away from just all of my experiences in high school and just start over with something new and grow significantly in my first few years of college. Um, My parents were in full support of this. They were not worried at all about me flying a little farther than home than um, most people in my area. But I started looking just with Google searches. I think I looked up private liberal arts Christian universities that are also affordable. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's how I started out. Where did Cedarville rank in that? It was about number three or four, I think. Um, I immediately dismissed it because I didn't like the colors or the name at first. (laughs) What's wrong with the colors? I like them now. At first, I don't. I don't know. Uh, You know, senior year, Sage. You know, had had preferences. What's your school colors at home? Well, because I was homeschooled, I didn't have any. But my graduation colors were magenta. So, Ooh, that's pretty. Yeah, it's it's pretty. <laughs> um, but I, my mother, my sweet mother, put me on the email list for this school, and Thank I just you. kind of followed it through that. I didn't know anyone here. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with the mission. I wasn't familiar with Dr. White or with any of the administration. 
it was a purely very organic process of just a process of elimination, applications to different colleges, and then praying through my final decision between three and choosing here, ultimately. I want to start uh, at this point of really getting to know you and your faith journey. Mm -hmm. So um, I I would think by now, since you're a junior, that um, you embrace the mission of Cedarville University, which is being Christ-centered. Can you share with us your spiritual journey when you did meet Christ and decided to follow him? Absolutely. So I was saved at a very early age, um, the age of five. My parents yeah. remember the story better than I do. Yeah. Um, but for the longest amount of time, I was very insecure when it came to sharing my testimony because I felt like I had so little to offer and so mm-hmm. little to share because I felt like I had known Christ my whole life. I understand. And I have grown in confidence in sharing my testimony since being at Cedarville because mm-hmm. I have found that everyone's testimony is another miracle that God has worked. Good point. It's not us. It's him working inside us. Um, During high school, I struggled with sadness and loneliness. Um, Definitely a lot of insecurities of just who I wanted to be, who I was. I didn't feel accepted for the ambitions that I had or the dreams that I had. So a lot of that kind of contributed to um, just sent issues with depression and, mm. and also anger towards um, people and bitterness towards friends. So it was very rocky, I would say, not necessarily emotionally, just but um, spiritually and mentally um, mm. during high school. And so coming to school freshman year, I basically prayed that God would just um, break down my walls and start over anew with me. And he mm. did just that. He kind of worked a miracle, I would say, in making me a different person. How did he do that? Sure. So I had a lot of great upperclassmen who just came alongside me and started pouring into me. Um, I was very eager. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, I was very eager to meet new people. And the people that I met here were just so open and authentic and ready to know me and that was the first time I felt like I had ever met so many peers in one place mm-hmm. who actually cared. And I think that's where God started working and then quickly began to work through my classes and through my professors. I got to know professors pretty well and has only he has only continued that process incrementally. Um, even during the quarantine process during COVID, I felt like I was connecting to people from Cedarville, um, from long distances away. And I, I hear that story a lot when I, when I talk to or listen to Cedarville students. Um, Cedarville is a place where you can connect with uh, students or peers or, or colleagues or faculty members mm-hmm. in a really, really genuine way. And uh, to me, that's what really life's about is relationships yeah. and going deep with people. So I feel like you definitely have to have a mindset of openness, though, Mm -hmm. when coming here. You have to be ready to receive and not just be ready to sit back and wait for people to come to you. You often have to go to people first. And that's, I think, where I grew the most, is that I was ready for that. Are you now, as a junior, are you uh, reaching out to people as you see freshmen come on Yes, I Yes. (laughs) I have several wonderful freshman friends that I actually had the blessing of meeting over the summer. I got to be an RA for the summer scholars program that Cedarville does during Mm -hmm. the summertime. And I met some lovely, wonderful freshman girls that I am 
willing to pour into. Of course, I've only been back on campus for about seven weeks now since right. uh, DC, but I am so ready for um, that opportunity to serve them. So you mentioned DC just now, and uh, from reading your story, the DC semester, which is a program through our political science um, department, was was pivotal in you actually deciding to come to Cedarville. Yes, is that right? That is correct. Can you share that story? Sure. So I came on a lengthy college visit as a senior in high school. I visited about three different universities up north, and Cedarville was one of them. And I got to sit down and talk to Dr. Sims about Mm -hmm. the history and government department. Mm -hmm. We had, I think it was like an hour-long conversation, and it was wonderful, delightful in every way. And we talked about the D.C. program. We talked about a little bit of what that would entail Um, going and living in D.C., having an internship either on the Hill or elsewhere. And that conversation about the program here at school was unlike any other conversation I had with other universities when it came to opportunities for history and government department students to get involved pre-graduation in politics and government. Does that mean that Cedarville is the only school that had a D.C. semester kind of program? Like this, yes, I would say. I would say there were other programs, but they were not nearly as developed. They were not as, um, I think, just ready for students to just come and take part in the program already. There wasn't as much just information or a basis for uh, this is what you're going to get to do. This is what you're going to get to learn um, while in D.C. And so it was definitely a standout highlight of Cedarville. It's it's a great program. It's it's a definitely a um, a niche program we think, and um, it does provide, as you well know, and we'll get into this later on, that it provides great opportunities while you're in Washington D.C. Oh, yeah. oh yes, uh, I believe though, uh, Sage, the program accepts about 15 students each fall, and it's just the fall semester it goes, correct? That's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. so about 15 students uh, are accepted in the program. And it's a unique experience because students live in a house just steps from the U.S. Capitol, down the street from the Supreme Court. How does the living learning environment, when you're living with your peers, uh, sharpen you and the other students, both professionally, personally, spiritually? Sure. Wow. That's a little broad, but I will do my best. Um, So you go with 15 to uh, 14 to 15 other students, Mm -hmm. and those people become your small support group in a very large city that has so much to offer and a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. So my personal experience living and learning in D.C., I got to live with two very wonderful friends of mine, and I learned as much from them in the living situation as I did in my job on the Hill with the senator. Yes, because basically they encouraged me to chase after Christ and be independent in my faith while working full-time and coming home every day exhausted and mentally strained from the job that I had to do. And yet I found so much fulfillment in what they had to teach me as people. And I think I grew in my patience and my humility, um, my creativity when it came to how to relate to my friends and Mm -hmm. how to comfort them when they needed comfort. I would say as a whole, the peers that I got to be around in D.C. were incredible. It's wonderful when you share passions for politics and government and the world with others from a Christian perspective because you see the world very differently than the peers 
around you who don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So it was great to just sit down for hours and have conversations and arguments about the way we viewed the world or moral Mm. challenges or um, our dreams and passions for what we wanted to do after graduation. And that was so encouraging. And I still have those close friendships now back on campus today. Mm -hmm. So I know you had an internship. Um, Is it that way for all the students in the, in the DC semester that they all have internships. So they do that each day. Like it's a normal job. Mm-hmm. Yes. How- yes. So the typical work day is about eight thirty to 6 PM, sometimes eight thirty to seven, depending on who okay. you're working for, where you're working. But yes, we all have internships and that's pretty much Tuesday through Friday. Okay. On Mondays, we take cultural tour days where we'll go to a museum or to a monument with a professor And we'll get to tour and then maybe experience something unique and local to D.C. For example, we got to go to Ben's Chili Bowl, which is a place in D.C. where um, it's in the historically black district of D.C. Who was the professor you were with? Um, At that point in time, that was Dr. Clark. Okay. But this past semester was a little unique for the history and government department because we actually had five professors take turns with us in D.C. Usually there's only one. But we had five professors take right. three weeks each with us, and yeah. that was incredible. I want to take a break from my conversation on the podcast so I could tell you about Cedarville University's Transform Tour that is coming to a city near you. The Transform Tour would travel 10,000 miles over 26 days to achieve one goal, that being to proclaim the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're scheduled to be in 13 cities, including Grand Rapids, Michigan, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Tampa, and Washington, D.C., to name a few. To learn more about the Transform Tour, visit cedarville.edu slash transformtour. The event is free, but registration is required, so reserve your place today by visiting cedarville.edu slash transformtour. We are looking forward to seeing you during the Transform Tour. Now, here's the rest of today's Cedarville Stories podcast. Sage, as we continue the, the conversation, and as, a, as you think back to the D.C. semester alone, what were some of your personal highlights? I shook the hand of Jerome Powell, who is the chair of the Federal Reserve. That was a pretty crucial moment, I Where? think, for me. I was in my senator's office, and he came in for a meeting. And I stood up from my desk and greeted him at the door and offered him tea and coffee and shook his hand and had about a 10-minute long conversation with him about being in economics and controlling money. And he was a very down-to-earth fellow, very easy to talk to. But imposing, isn't he? His stature is... I would say so. Yes, he's actually not that tall, but he is very put together, very, you know, typical, very... Uh, well presented so it was but it was incredible it was a good experience for sure I would say that that was probably maybe the highlight of my internship experience however I did also develop a wonderful relationship with the people in my office yeah and the senator himself was um, a blessing to know are those relationships that continue today um, it's difficult to maintain relationships when I'm here at school and they're in DC and yeah. they are working long hours every day to keep this country up and running. So I have emailed back and forth with a few of them, corresponded with them over text messaging, but it is definitely a different relationship now considering um, saying, seeing them in the office every day. Sure. So So, 
uh, you still have another year after this year t- uh, of schooling. But once you graduate, do you see yourself going back to D.C.? I do. So, you know, it's it's they always say, you know, have a 10 year plan, you know, know what you want to do with your life. And of course, I've learned to hold the plans that I have for my life with open hands, knowing that God can take and give as he sees fit. But my goals would basically be to graduate, of course, and go back to D.C., work for three to four years on the Hill, working with policy, legislation, and then I would go to get my master's overseas, hopefully in Italy or Germany in international relations. Mm. And based out of that experience, either come back to the U.S. and work for the security or come back to the U.S. and work for the State Department or go and work for the United Nations somewhere around the world. I hope you're getting getting to know Dr. Glenn Dewar while you're here. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful mentor to me and many others. And yes, has so much experience to learn from. You mentioned that last year after you were accepted into the D.C. semester that you actually began searching for an internship. But what I understood was that process wasn't as smooth as you would have desired it to be because you made a lot of applications, but you got rejected, what, 90% of the time? Yes. What was that like? It's certainly shocking. I think, you know, you're told that you're going to be told no more times than you'll ever be told yes. And it yeah. was very good to experience that, very humbling as well. A lot of the struggles that I had with applying for internships were definitely related to COVID because internships in DC were slow to pick back up Mm -hmm. when everyone was returning to the office. However, the 15 or so that I applied to only about three or four of them, I heard anything back from even an email, you know, saying that they had chosen someone else or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wasn't in the pool of applicants that they were considering. Mm -hmm. I had two different interviews, one being for Senator Lankford's office and then another one being for, the Family Research Council, sorry, um, and then another internship being for the Family Research Council. But I applied um, many different places, and a few of those I just never heard anything from. So it was very just, you know, shoot your shot, get your internship resume in there, and just hope for the best. Yeah. Which was very difficult mentally to keep doing that over and over again because you begin to question. Oh, yeah who you are, why you're doing this in the first place, are you good if you're enough? even good enough yeah. to yeah. be considered for stuff yeah. like this, especially if you have never had any political experience right. thus far, which was my experience. So, Did you have a bent toward you wanted to get an internship with a senator or maybe like a family research council? Or where, where, where did you really want to go? I wanted the internship that I got. More than anything, it was a dream come true, honestly. I had I have been wanting to work for Senator Langford since I was like 16 and paying attention to local and state politics. So that wasn't even supposed to happen. I had looked at his website. His internships weren't even open on his website. I had emailed way back in May, and then I had gone several months without hearing anything. And then out of the blue, while I was a camp counselor at a girl's or um, – Out of the blue, while I was a camp counselor at an evangelical youth camp back home, I got a call one afternoon and a voicemail from one of the ladies in the office basically saying that she had gotten my resume and they would like to interview me. Oh, nice. Amazing. I I can't, like, imagine any other way that it could have 
happened. And the interview went really well. And then two weeks later, I heard back and said, they said that I was accepted. I was the only intern in the office for the fall. That's typically, they usually have one to two. Um, so I was the only one. And that was the one that I wanted. So I just immediately said yes. Well, it's, it's your home state senator. So that had right. to be a lot of yes. fun. Oh, yeah. And also just an all-around wonderful man as well and yeah. leader. Yeah. So I'm talking with Sage Sowers today on the program about her experiences at Cedarville's D.C. semester and the internship she had with Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. Uh, Sage, as an intern, what were your roles with the senator? Sure. So as an intern, I was in charge of answering the phone mostly. That was the, my main role in the office. So whenever a constituent calls with an opinion or concern or comment for the senator, I would be the one to talk to them, take okay. their opinion down, record it in a database that we kept full of uh, constituent concerns for the senator, and then um, pass that along to him at the end of the day. It was a great experience for me because I talked to a lot of people who needed help and I was able to be one liaison for them mm -hmm. for them and as they asked for help to get them connected to a federal federal agency or to assistance back in the state and then also I talked to people who were unnecessarily aggressive or yeah. concerned or afraid and there were many conversations I had with people that would leave me more drained than I would have anticipated that um, being, but it was a spiritual battle and that I had to grow in my ability to not let emotions and negative emotions affect me and keep being positive, keep being encouraging to people on the phone and a positive light in their lives. I developed good relationships with a few daily callers that I talk to every day. Really? Yeah. Um, wonderful people. Even when we disagreed, we could have decent, good conversations. Yeah. And so ultimately I learned a lot from just answering the phones and talking to people that I had never met before and I will never meet. Yeah. So you, you took me down a path that I was thinking that I know when, um, when people are on the, on the receiving end of a phone call, like for a product or whatever, Oftentimes, people are just disgruntled, and they let out their frustrations on the person who That's they're right. talking to. So they did it with you. Oh, absolutely. Every day, I would have at least one that was just incredibly angry or frustrated with me personally. Sure. And yeah. yeah. How long did it take you to to move through that process and know that it wasn't you that they were really mad at, mm -hmm. but so you could really let it go? I'd say the first week was very rough. However, I had I was prepared for that aspect of the job because of advice that I had been given beforehand. So I knew that that was coming. The first week was definitely shocking because sometimes someone's so angry that you don't even know what to say to respond to them. But I very quickly learned how to just, you know, take their opinion and then do my best to listen as politely as possible and then hope that they, um, or wish them a good day and yeah. hang up the phone. Sometimes all I could do was just, be as polite as possible and get off the line. But there were a few times when I was able to give them information that they were wanting. Yeah. And they ended the phone call much less angry and frustrated than they were when they began. I'm sure you did a great job. Just observing you and listening to you talk today is like, I'm highly impressed with your composure, your poise, <laughs> and your professionalism. So I'm sure you Thank handled you. it quite well. <laughs> um, 
And it's also clear to me that uh, you gained some great experience uh, through the D.C. semester program that led you to um, Senator Langford. But here's what's really exciting to me about this story, about um, Sage's story, is, is unlike most interns, your internship didn't just end. It led to something else. What did it lead to? That's right. So most interns go for a few months and they work for an office and then they say goodbye to that office. And if you're looking for a permanent job, you look elsewhere and you'll look many, many times to find a permanent job. Um, While I was there, the wonderful staff assistant in the office that I got, the wonderful staff assistant that I had the privilege to meet while I was there, he decided to take another job that was uh, more along the lines of what he wanted to do and more something that he would enjoy. And it was about five weeks into my internship, and I was kind of freaking out because he was my point of contact. He was the person who was training me and helping me learn the ropes of the job. And I was like, okay, he's going to leave, and I'm not going to know what to do, and I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently, the office didn't think that I was going to be negatively affected by that transition at all because a few days after that announcement had been made, um, the scheduler in the office came and got me from the front office and led me back to the chief of staff's chief of staff's office and sat me down with the chief of staff and they were both in there with me and they offered me a full time job wow. in the office as the staff assistant for Senator Langford. So that meant that I worked alone in the front office as his only liaison between many constituents and meetings coming into the office um, for about two months before they hired someone else. And then I worked alongside her and did the exact same thing. And they upgraded my pay and they helped me get connected to people in the office and people outside of the office who could encourage me in that transition. That very rarely happens on the Hill. Most times they hire externally someone who is um, looking for a permanent role and definitely not someone who is only going to be there for a few months and then back at school. So having being only a junior and having a year and a half left of school and being hired on full time as a staff assistant for a senator was something that I would have never, ever dreamed of. If you didn't have to come back to school... Could you have kept that job indefinitely? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I actually had to make the decision to come back to school because it would have been very easy for me to just stay. In fact, I had many people who work in D.C. and who have lived there encouraging me to stay because they knew how one of once in a lifetime that opportunity was. So it was about a two week long decision that I had to make in about October of whether or not I wanted to come back to Cedarville or whether I was going to transfer to a school in D.C. and continue to work and um, continue my schooling closer to my job and where I wanted to ultimately end up. So how did you make that decision? It was a process. There was was a period of a few days where I was like, oh, I think I'm not going back to Cedarville, which now looking back, I can't believe I even thought that that was possible. Really? But... I sought the counsel of some very wise people in my life, including a few professors and my mother and my father sat on the phone with me for about two to three hours while I hashed out all the pros and cons, all of the different decisions that I would have to make. 
and they did not push me one way or the other. They said, okay, we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. Mm. We're going to lift you up in prayer every day. Mm. Um, They encouraged me to be praying and seeking the Lord in the word. And about a week later, my dad called me um, from work and said, hey, I think I know that I heard uh, the word of the Lord this morning. Mm. And he said that you needed to go back to school. And he was very gentle and he was like, you know, this is ultimately your decision, but I wanted you to know what I heard. And I had been hearing about the same thing. And that was when I knew that it was time to make the decision to go back to school. That was confirmation for you. Yes. That's what you needed. Yeah. Yeah. So as we pivot toward the end of the program, we're rapidly running out of time. And I still have a lot of questions I want to ask you, but we'll do that for another time. Sorry, I can be long-winded. No, you're you're (laughs) fabulous. But uh, I want to talk about... Uh, going back to the, this geography lesson we talked about at the beginning, so you're, you're from a small town, you go to school in a small town, but now you're thrust into the major political hub of the United States, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. How difficult was that for you to transition and adjust to that kind of lifestyle? Because in D.C., they're highly driven people oh, yeah. uh, working there. And mm-hmm. how did you make that work for you? It was, I hated it. At first, actually, I the first two weeks I was there, I was like, "Take me back to Cedarville. This is not where I belong." Yeah, um, I am going crazy. I was go, I was coming home just from walking on the streets of DC, just exhausted. I just wanted to go to bed by like nine p.m. and wake up the next morning and not deal with anything. But after that first two week period, I started to really find my routine and my place in the city. I grew to love it so much while I was there. It's definitely a place that suits my type of personality and the way that I like to live my life. I'm very much a go, go, go type of person. So it was very encouraging to be around other people who are also like that. Um, I grew to love my little place and Mm -hmm. then having roommates in a support group also made it a lot easier. I found a great church while I was there Mm -hmm. and that helped a lot. Yeah. So I have, I'm going to leave it with two final questions. Okay. Um, when you return to the nation's capital after graduation, because to me it's obvious that's, that's what's going to happen, unless the Lord changes those plans for you. But what are some ways as a, as a believer in Christ where you can share his light in a very difficult area, difficult, difficult arena? Because, again, um, politicians seem to be very egocentric mm-hmm. and— um, driven for their own success, how can you show Jesus in what you're going to be doing in D.C.? Yeah. I've thought about that a lot, especially at school here at Cedarville, because we're, we're given the opportunity to consider our careers with a bi- biblical perspective and background. And I've often asked myself, as a Christian, how will I continue to be a light in a world that is so dark? Yeah. And... I know the joy and the peace of Christ resides within my heart, and that is evident for people to see if I am focused and meditating on his truth and on his word daily. Mm. I got to see Christians in my office and in others who were incredibly positive, smiling, laughing, enjoying life, but also with incredibly hard jobs and difficult positions to be in. And they inspired me um, and comforted me as well, knowing, you know, it it helped me know that I can be that someday. And it will be possible to go to Capitol Hill and 
serve others, even in a chaotic work situation. That's a great answer. And as I think through what you just said, and as I think to our audience, if um, we should be encouraged uh, by what Sage has said, because in a very dark political world, to have someone like Sage and other believers um, leading and working on our behalf in the nation's mm-hmm. capital, we, sh- we should be encouraged as a country because we're in good position with people like Sage and other believers in D.C. So I thank you for thinking through that and sharing that with us. My final question brings us back to the very first question. Um, as you look back to your decision to enroll at Cedarville University, again, it was because of the D.C. semester. Mm-hmm. Was that the best decision for you? Yes. I followed the call of Christ here, and that could not have been more clear, and it is not more clear than it is now. And I think every day that is reaffirmed because of the people that I know here, the way God has worked in my life here, and where he's taking me. Thank you, Sage. Thanks for you know just sharing your story, sharing your life uh, with us. Uh, the D.C. experience was... Um, Sounded like a lot of fun, um, a lot of challenges. Yeah, and if I could encourage our audience as well, do not be um, discouraged yeah. by what you see on the media because there are people in D.C. who are working for the good of Christ and for the good of the world, and I met many of them, and they are working hard, and God has not forsaken us. Thanks for closing us in that way, and thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Hello friends, we are bringing Cedarville University to cities all across the country in our first ever nationwide tour. As part of the Transform Tour, you'll experience dynamic worship, be challenged from God's Word, and hear how God is blessing and transforming lives at Cedarville. Visit cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to discover if we'll be near you. We hope to see you there.